Okay, so this is a departure from our usual style, but this episode does touch, although lightly, on a few mature subjects like drug use, incarceration, politics, and, you know, maybe you're not in the mood to explain all of these things to younger listeners right now. It also has some mature language. Not a lot, but it's there. So don't say I didn't tell you. Every type of person should do comedy so that every type of person can see themselves in them and know they can do it too. It's it's like this weird combination of optimism, like I can hope to be like them, and then the other side is, well, if that can do it. Yeah, so it's a bit of both. It's like I didn't know to have that dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know I was allowed to have that dream. Like I got permission to have that dream. Because like Brett Butler is from Alabama, and she's uh, she had an accent, and she was talking about moving to New York, living in New York. I was like... They let you move to New York, you know, and so that's why I think it's so important for everyone to know that they they have a voice. Welcome to our podcast, We Heart Mom Jokes. I'm Lalita. I'm the queer mom of a 14 year old, a single mom by choice and a comic. And I'm Smita. I'm a mom of two. And I met Lalita doing stand-up. We decided to start this podcast because we were wondering how are other parents managing during the pandemic? Are they finding it as difficult as we do? So we decided to ask some people that we really like talking to, other comics. Today on our podcast, we're delighted to have Bobby Oliver, well-known LA comedian, owner of Dow Comedy Studio and author of the fabulous comedy book, The Dow of Comedy, embrace the pause thank you for being with us bobby thank you for having me and we're going to start off with a clip from bobby's show on amazon prime bobby oliver's greatest hits (laughs) my whole family thinks we're cursed they're always talking about the family curse i'm like y'all we're not the kennedys we just make really bad decisions Get a GED, the curse will be lifted. (laughs) My family thinks I'm uppity because I know the Ellen Salmon is silent. (laughs) They gonna call it Salmon till they die. (laughs) So y'all, I had convinced myself that I am not a redneck. And I really believed it. Until I tried to use voice to text. It has no fucking idea what I'm saying. Like no idea what I'm saying. Like not even close. And it's not like I'm saying anything overtly Southern. You know, it's not like I'm like, I reckon we figuring to go down yonder to the creek cause the spigot to the hosepipe is flicked. <laughs> The spigot to the hosepipe is flicked, <laughs> by the way. Even before I was a mom, like I, I taught daycare, which was mm-hmm. one of my favorite jobs ever in Georgia. Um, I was a nanny. I, I am the mom to thousands of comedians in LA and all over the world who've studied with me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even without d- adopting my sister, like I've had the, I've played the role of the mom ever since I was, you know, young. 
I think there's so many ways you can be a parent or in my case I'm the actual biological parent of my son and I don't think I parent him very well at all so you know it goes both ways (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was my the godmother to my kid my niece and nephew so like I we always knew we could get them in the event of my sister's death Mm -hmm. but what we didn't know is that we could get them in the event of crystal meth So read the fine print. Oh my. But you know well, what? They, when I was the aunt, they loved me. Mm. They thought I was the coolest thing that ever lived. They loved me. They always wanted to come over to my house. They always wanted to go over to me. But as soon as I became the mom, when I adopted them, everything changed. You stopped and, being fun auntie. Right, right. Then they resented it. Now I had to constantly be like, you know, clean up your room. Or I, I was the person that was telling them what to do now. Mm-hmm. And Chris, you know, and Chris was the person that was just throwing a couple of extra pieces of chicken in the pan. And then he was the hero. <laughs> I take it your husband, Smith, that doesn't talk about babysitting your children. Oh my God. That's one of my pet peeves when I've never heard a woman say this and a man's yeah. like, yeah, man's like, gotta go home. It's babysitting duties. And it's like, no, this is your life choices. You're not a babysitter. You're a parent. Right. Yeah. It's dad duties. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that really bugs me is um, when you go out as a woman, they're always like, oh, who's looking after the kids? And I'm like, I bet nobody asks a guy that. That's such a good point. That is so great. Yeah, nobody asks the man who's looking after the kids. kids. It irritates me greatly. Because they know they're in the trunk of the car. Oh, like my son is just so uninterested in clothes, which is kind of good for me because I have a, a, a monthly uh, clothing budget and I just use it up uh, every every month. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yes, that is so true. When So, you know, when I adopted my niece, she's gothic. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know what I mean? Like dresses all in black. Black and everything. And, yeah. yeah. Who knew that was so expensive? <laughs> It costs a lot of money to look like hell. <laughs> you know, they don't exactly sell those combat boots at Target. No, they and those don't. those panic t-shirts aren't cheap either. Mm-hmm. Who knew 666 was the freaking price tag? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I once saw a pair of goth, goths like on a date and they were like giggling and flirting. And I was like, this is off brand. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. very much got the, the, the personality. She gets her depression from, she comes by her depression naturally. All the women in our, in our family are bipolar and psychic. <laughs> oh, in, in my family, um, many people have died at an extremely young age and the ones that haven't have gotten dementia. So I tell my kid, if I'm still alive by the time you finish college, you better get a good job, you know, so you can have someone. Because by the time I'm 60, I won't remember how to pee. Just (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the only thing I can remember. Mm. Yeah, my daddy was like, my people live forever. I don't have enough money to live forever. What am I going to (laughs) do? But then, you know, my daddy actually has ALS now. Um, it's what Stephen Hawking had. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's dying. Well, I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what people did the ice bucket challenge about, right? A few yeah, years ago. I, yeah. I have a joke about that where I uh-huh. say, uh, you know, my daddy has ALS. Uh-huh. 
and I totally blame myself because I knew I should have done that damn ice bucket challenge. <laughs> I Everyone tagged me in that thing. And I was like, this will never affect me. Uh, I don't think you could have prevented it, Bobby. It's, I do. I feel like I could have. <laughs> Um, my dad, um, uh, when he was still alive, obviously fell and um, essentially broke his back. And so he did recover, but there was some time where he was partially paralyzed, mm -hmm. uh, fully paralyzed, and then he got better. But while he was paralyzed, he said, well, it's okay. I'm just going to be the next Stephen Hawking. And we're like, <laughs> you're paralyzed. You're not a genius. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have Stephen Hawking money. Right. Yeah. We can't afford the level of care that kept Stephen Hawking alive forever. Right. But yeah, yeah, like my parents never, and after we adopted the, my sister's two kids, my parents never asked me how I was doing. Mm -hmm. They're always like, how's Chris holding up? Oh. Never asked me how I was doing. My sister never once said, so how's it going with the kids? Like mm -hmm. never. And to this day, she will swear to you that I only had them a couple years. Right. Yeah. Well, I've had them since 2001. Mm -hmm. We got them right after 9-11. Um, wow. What do they say? Time flies when you're having fun. I guess it, it feels a lot <laughs> shorter. When, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like that, that crystal meth joke. She actually wasn't on meth when I got the kids. But when she had all that free time, oh. when, she, when it freed up all of her time, mm -hmm. she decided that would be a good opportunity to get on meth. And she ended up going to jail a couple times. And um, wow. Yeah. But I still love her. I mean, it was that or starting a podcast, right? Oh my God. She chose the right thing. <laughs> she made the right decision. Y'all should look into meth. <laughs> it's not mom related, but no, we don't need to be mom related. It's meth related. So. Human related. I was telling um, Lolita that I, I'd been doing comedy for 10 years when I moved here, mm -hmm. almost 10 years at the time. And I, I had to start like all over again. Like people were like, Bobby who? Mm, I yeah. moved here to get off the road because I was on the road full time for like eight years. Mm -hmm. And so we lived in this big house on four acres. Mm -hmm. Chris basically lived there by himself. Right. Uh, and, and he probably misses that time. <laughs> Um, done comedy in 25 states because mm -hmm. I would only go as far as I could drive home a day a week uh -huh. Chris because mm -hmm. I like him <laughs> oh dear no that's I'm, I'm one of these yeah. people that's married to somebody they don't like mm -hmm. um, so um I mean I obviously love him but a lot of people love their spouse and don't like him and so Ooh. um yeah I got tired of just like being you know he lived in this big house and I lived in a motel six in Alabama somewhere. <laughs> I moved here because I couldn't stand being on the road by myself. This was like pre internet, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, rich people had the internet, but certainly there was, there wasn't even my space. Um, so when you were alone, you were alone, alone, right. Eight alone. I went to an amusement park alone one time clubs that actually pay money also give you perks. Like if you're in like a resort town or whatever you get, so I went to an amusement park alone and boy, that I don't recommend it. <laughs> right. That's, was it just sad walking around by yourself? Well, it was actually, I went, it was the, this thing in Florida where it, they have glass bottom boats Oh. and you can be on the boat and you can look at all like the alligators. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed that, except for it was a little scary how the back of the boat was open. Ooh. So like. And it even kind of had like a slant. It was kind of like a ramp for alligators. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> um, so aside, I mean, aside from the terror, 
Um, it was just, yeah, it was just really sad. So I packed all my bags, sold our giant house on four acres and moved to LA, not knowing anything mm-hmm. about the LA market, not knowing that LA does not pay comedians, um, not knowing that I was going to pay twice my mortgage for, you know, a small place. Yeah. And our, our dog, we had a German Shepherd Chow mix and she was like, are you kidding? Yeah, um, I, have, I have questions about this mix. <laughs> yes, I'm also curious about the German Shepherd. Oh my God. Okay. She looked just like a German Shepherd, but instead of that coarse hair, it yeah. was really fluffy. And was she, was she like fierce, like a German Shepherd? No. And actually, you know what is it fierce? Uh, a chow. Oh. Chow eat, chows eat other, other animals. We had a chow eat our cat one time. We think. No. Um, we think. Right. I see. So, so it sounds like there were lots of downsides to coming to LA, but it sounds like it still stuck for you. When I first got here, I was a maid. Like Chris and I were maids, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah. So all my friends were like, you gave up a job being a full-time comedian to be a maid, (laughs) you know? And it was years before I was able to quit my job again. I first, we were a maid, you know, maids for this maid service. And then we were telemarketers and then I became a nanny after the kid got after he aged out, I went, started working at Pepperdine University. Um, and then I started working at Pasadena City College. And at Pasadena City College is where I started teaching comedy. Oh. Yeah. So I was working in, I read the non-credit admissions and records office. And they had like this extended learning program. And I had seen one from like Glendale College and they had a stand-up comedy class. And I was like, who is this person? I don't know this. I've never seen this person doing comedy anywhere. I've never, you know. So I moved here in 97. In 2004, I got the idea to teach a comedy class. I'd been doing comedy like 16 years or something by then, been on the road, done all sorts. So I started teaching this little, this extended learning center, stand-up comedy class. And it was immediately packed. And it was great, but they wouldn't let me have control over how many people were in the class mm-hmm. or how long the class lasted, uh-huh. you know, and they didn't want us to have a show at the end. Oh. So um, after I did like a couple sessions there, I ended up moving the class to the Ice House Comedy Club in oh. Pasadena, which is the oldest comedy club in America. Oh, and I have, I have a strict policy that I, I refuse to make money for people who don't like me. so I I left the ice house after nine years of teaching there not knowing where I was going to go what I was going to do had no intention of opening the comedy school and I started renting out this place called theater asylum and elephant studios just to teach my classes there Mm -hmm. and within four weeks of leaving the ice house, Dow Comedy Studio fell in my lap. Wow. And I took that leap and the universe provided. And the funny thing was, I'd been working on my book, The Dow of Comedy, for like years, mm-hmm. years, like since I started teaching. And then within months of opening Dow Comedy Studio, my book, The Dow of Comedy, came out. Wow. Like wow. everything all came, together. all came together, you know, and that ha- has happened several times in my life. Like I've been in two different mental institutions, saw a psychiatrist from the time I was in third grade until I was a sophomore in college. I went to a second mental institution, not the one where when Stephen was born, but another mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. The other one. Yeah. The other one. Yeah. When I came out, I started doing comedy and met Chris. Oh, did you meet doing comedy? Yes. So I wanted to do comedy. I was, I've always been a huge comedy fan. 
you know, like I would, um, my daddy and I, we would watch the Tonight Show every night with Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. I, I just fell in love with comedy, was just such a huge comedy fan. Gary Shanling, uh, David Letterman, mm-hmm. uh, who used to be really, really funny um, and was a big fan of comedy um, because they were all just like 35 year old dudes from New York, you know. Right. And so I didn't see myself in that. But I had been doing theater since I was 14. That's what saved my life. My high school having a mandatory rule that you had to take a theater class. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I, why I'm not in a trailer park right now. So, but then I saw Roseanne and Brett Butler on The Tonight Show within mm-hmm. a short period of time. And then all of a sudden I went, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. This is not just a, a dude thing. Like I, yeah. I could do, com- so I saw myself in them. That's why I think being a mentor is so important. Every type of person should do comedy so that every type of person can see themselves in them and know they can do it too. It's, it's like this weird combination of optimism. Like I can hope to be like them. And then the other side is, well, if that can do it, you know, and so... <laughs> yeah so it's a bit of both it's like I didn't know to have that dream Mm -hmm. yeah I didn't know I was allowed to have that dream like I got permission to have that dream because like Brett Butler is from Alabama and she's uh she had an accent and she was talking about moving to New York living in New York I was like they let you move to New York, yeah. you know? And so that's why I think it's so important for everyone to know that they, they have a voice. And yeah. so I started doing stand up, and I, so all right, here's the thing. I was 19 and the punchline Atlanta would not let me do an open mic because I wasn't 21. What? Or oh, their rule was you can't get in the club and like, cause it's a bar. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know to call somebody and be like, but please, can I just do the mic? I just, just like, okay. But I didn't want to wait till I was 21. So I started a stand-up comedy group at my college and my husband joined it. Chris joined it. I met him before. It was a small school. I knew him before, but like he was a, a freak. I was like this freak. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like that bitch. Um, but then we- Kayla's uh, oldest time. And, and we're still <laughs> that way. But um, yeah, so I met him doing comedy and started doing comedy. And it's like my whole life changed you know, my, my reason to live my, well, a reason to live Mm -hmm. something I actually was good at. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the person that I was meant to be with. I I love this story. story. And throughout our podcast, like so many people have echoed versions of this, of like comedy saved my life or comedy helped me find who I am. Comedy saved my children's lives. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) seriously. That's the truth sometimes your kids like my kids brandy doesn't like jokes about her she doesn't like any of that but steven like he he won't like sit down and like pull up amazon prime and watch it but if it's on he doesn't like run away or how do you feel about that actually i've heard other comedians say that too which is their family doesn't love their material yeah and you know what my sister has she's seen all the jokes about her and some of them she gives me she's like remember when i jumped off the roof our house with a, a, a roof our trailer with an umbrella even when I say like, she's a loser or whatever, she's, she's never said anything about it. Mm-hmm. My daddy luckily is not a fan of mine. Mm-hmm. So he's never listened to any mm-hmm. of my stuff. If mm-hmm. he heard the jokes I did about my mama, he would disown me. Oh, um, <laughs> like we own anything. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. I, I, here's my feeling. My feeling is that my, my version of events, my story is just as valid as theirs. Mm-hmm. the way I process my life, the way I deal with my life and cope is through comedy. 
Yes. You know, I have a joke about my brother dying, my brother ODing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, if you know, they, you heard it on the special, like they mm-hmm. wouldn't like that if they heard mm-hmm. that he would love it. <laughs> so the only person who I ask if I can do a joke about them and run it past them is the person I sleep with every night. <laughs> I see. Does Chris know about him? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else. I just figure, you know, this is like my niece. One time I went home, not the niece I raised, but another niece I went home And she goes, hey, do that joke I saw on the internet. And I said, what joke? And she said, you know, the one about me being pregnant on meth. And I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> um, but and, and my, my defense is she knew her aunt was a comedian when she decided to get pregnant on meth. <laughs> you know, she's not on meth anymore. And she has three beautiful kids. I just mm-hmm. want to put that out there in case she is a fan of mine, which I don't think, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and at my mama's funeral, my bro, you know, people kept coming up and introducing themselves or saying, you know, condolences and my brother, Eddie, you know, the minister, the evangelical minister, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. he would Why? say, be careful what you say to her. You're going to end up in her act. Mm-hmm. And I, at first I was laughing, but after he said it like three times, I was like, Oh, he's mad. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. And it's such a charming joke you have about him. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I think that was before that joke even existed. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. They, they don't. And my one brother got mad about, well, somebody got mad. I think my brother got mad. My brother Gerald got mad about the joke about him being in prison um, and wrote me the letter, you know, dear Bobby, this place is a palace. Um, but by the way, that's a true story, but I think he didn't like it that I said his name, like I just did now, but, um, he did write me a letter and say, compared to the way we grew up, it's not that different. When I was growing up, y'all, there was seven of us in a two bedroom, one bathroom trailer. Yeah. I remember my brother went to prison. He wrote me a letter, dear Bobby. This place is a palace. (laughs) They only got two guys to a room. They eat three times a day. He said, I want to stay here forever. He said, I got a plan. They tried to let me out of here. I'm going to kill somebody. Um, and my three brothers at, as teenagers shared a trailer bedroom. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, their whole life, but I mean, as teenagers, they were basically gr- three grown men in a tiny bedroom trailer. So there was a bullet hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah. You know, the police were called many times. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but he did say it wasn't that bad, but I think he just didn't like it that I used his name. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a way we, we process, right? Like, For you to even be able to write a joke, that means you've recognized something isn't sitting right. There's a dissonance. There's something's out of alignment, right? Yeah, like I'm trying to make a commentary about about being poor and about mm-hmm. how so often but the prison yeah. system basically, you know, funnels people of color and poor white people into the prison system, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that joke, that that joke was about, you know, it's about poverty. You know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. That particular joke you're talking about about that's making a huge political statement. Poor white people in the South have been 
tricked by rich white people into thinking that all of their problems are because of other poor people yeah. mm-hmm. rather than it being the rich white man that's got his literally his foot boot on everyone's neck yeah. yes because poor white people think they're temporarily poor but they are going they believe they're going to go up the ladder but yeah. that mm-hmm. ladder doesn't exist anymore yeah. and it may have been true at one point but it's not true now Oh, I did want to talk to you one about like um, the person who made fun of you for like, not fun of you, like who sort of classified your humor as like down home Southern humor. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) This guy came to my show one night and he went home and tweeted, oh, I saw Bobby Oliver tonight. She's so funny. It's that Southern working class humor that I love. What the fuck? No, it's not. It's feminist jokes with an accent. I swear to God, Joe, I could do jokes about the Holocaust and people be like, it's that down home humor. (laughs) We love so much. So I said the F word, feminist. Yes, I'm a feminist. Yes, obviously, because I'm a woman and I'm not a fucking idiot. Because yeah. one of the one of the most distinctive things about you, especially when people are listening to this, is your accent. It's beautiful to me. It's so interesting and different. And you must have had a lot of shit about it in your career. So much. And here's the deal, like. You think I have a Southern accent. I do. To my family, they think I have lost my accent. Right. I can see. My brother, I say for the longest time, my brother who died, a voicemail from him until it it got erased. You know, he'd say, hey, hey, Bobby, it's your brother Ron O'Hound Dog himself. (laughs) Like, this is accents in the South, well, everywhere. It depends on region and, and class. Mm. and I code switch too I'll speak one way with regular people and then I'll speak a completely different way with them or when around Chris when I'm just being casual Mm -hmm. but the thing is there's a type of comedy southern comedy Uh and so you know it tends to be you know the blue collar comedy tour Mm-hmm. No, and like um Larry the cable guy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I used to call myself, I used to have a business card where I called myself the redneck hippie. Ooh. <laughs> and now there's a few southerners who go by like the liberal southerner, but mostly southern comedy was always like fans of country music and NASCAR and Trump. And but if you really listen to what I'm saying, <laughs> You know, it's very liberal and it's very political um, and it's, you know, and I'm a pothead and, you know, it's, it's like I'm, you know, I'm a Buddhist. I'm actually a Taoist, but people don't know what that means. So, so I'm, you know, the complete opposite of that, but people just, you know, like I said earlier about people here, you talk about race. And they immediately decide it's a racist joke without actually listening to what you say. Mm -hmm. Um, um, when people hear a southern accent they've decided it's redneck comedy and they you know yeah so when i tell jokes about my family and i talk about them being racist and poor and 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 liking trump and being misogynistic they just hear you know that down home humor 
that we love so much. That's yeah. actually the most insulted I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I love how he threw working class in there. You know, like, we're not going to let you forget you're from a trailer park, bitch. Oof. You know, yeah. like holding it, you know, mm -hmm. it, I felt like it was like, let's take her down a notch. It's interesting because there's, I'm with you. That was definitely meant to, it was meant to label you in some way. And people are always like, don't put the Nashville network as one of your credits. I'm like, it's my biggest credit. I did stand up to 8 million people. They're like, oh, they're going to think you're a Southern comedian. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that's changing now. But you know I think what? So. Let them let them let them underestimate me. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I love it when they underestimate me, and then I go out there and I'm funnier than every one of them. Mm-hmm. I love that. They want to say you're dumb. This thing that really irritates me about liberals trashing Trump supporters. Every state in the country, they always call them rednecks and hillbillies. Uh -huh. And in what other scenario would liberals ever think it's okay to make fun of someone for being poor? The same way that it really bugs me. I mean, I don't mind people saying my accent is cute because cute's a nice word. Um, but there's so much elitism in the people, the way people groove on my accent because it's considered English. Yeah, this place, yeah. America's a classist shithole. It really is. Yeah. yeah. If it's any help, so is the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a great place to end this. Okay. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> Bobby, if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Okay. Usually at the dispensary. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to follow me on social media, I'm at the Bobby Oliver on Twitter and Instagram. And my name is spelled B-O-B-B-I-E because I am a girl. <laughs> um, so the Bobby Oliver on Twitter and Instagram obviously watch my special on Amazon Prime, Bobby mm -hmm. Oliver's Greatest Hits, Yay, my favorite fantastic. my four previous albums. Um, but I, my website is bobbyoliver.net and of course, dowcomedystudio.com. Dow is spelled T-A-O. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Dow Comedy Studio also. And Lalita, where can we find you? I am at Lalita D Comedy and D is D-double-E. -E, so Lalita D Comedy uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me, Smitha, at Almost Favorite on Twitter. And my website is almostfavorite.com.